He has risen. So good morning, friends. Um, if this is your first time with us, I want to I say be at peace, my friend. You're welcome here. Um, God is sovereign. He holds all things together. Welcome to the celebration of Easter. Uh, this is when we gather and we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The tomb is empty. Jesus has defeated death and sin. Let his people rejoice today. It's a great day. I want to call you to, to look at the scriptures that proclaim that, that the tomb is empty today and to discover again the hope of the resurrection. But, but here's what I realize today. Faith does not come easy for everyone. Some of you have always believed that Jesus is Lord. It just, it just comes easy. It comes naturally for you. And if, and if that's you, well, listen, you're, you're, bre- you're blessed. I mean, praise God for that. But don't, don't pat yourself on the back too hard, though, because the faith that you have inside is a gift that comes from the Lord. For other people in this room, I think you know faith is hard. For some of you, it's hard to believe that Jesus is who he says that he is, that Jesus is actually the Son of God. It's, it's hard for you to believe that, that, that he came to die for the sins of his people. And, and many people just think, God, if you just give me a sign. You ever thought about that before? Lord, if you just, if, if you just give me a sign, then I will believe I'll start going to church regularly. I'll start, I'll start saying prayers. I'll start doing all the Christian things. But first, you need to give me a sign. And some folks want, uh, they want a scientific sign. They want to like see the, the genetic sequencing of human DNA. And when they're unfolding that human sequencing, they want to find some clues within it that shows the fingerprint of God that says that God made us. Some people want to find that, that proof of God in nature. They want to see really scientific signs of the flood, or they want, to, they want to find Noah's ark high up on some mountain somewhere just so that they can know that God is, is true and God is real. You know what? This isn't new for Jesus. Jesus' ministry was full of people who would come to him and ask him, they would say, Lord, are you really who you say you are? And they would ask him to prove it and to do it on their terms. Like Jesus' life was marked with miracles, y'all. Do you realize that? He was healing the sick and the lame. He was turning water into wine. He was walking on water, and people were going around, and they were talking about these miracles. However, in Matthew chapter 12, despite all the miracles that Jesus does, Jesus is approached by religious leaders, and those religious leaders in Jerusalem, they have serious doubts, and they want Jesus to prove that he is who he says that he is. Their questions really are not so different than maybe some of yours who are here this morning. I want to read uh, the gospel encounter in Matthew 12 this morning that these religious leaders have with Jesus. And so... Friends, it is our tradition that when we read the scriptures, we we stand together in reverence. So I'm going to invite you, if you're able, to do so now. We're going to read Matthew 12, 38 through 42. And before we read together, we're going to pause and just say say a word of prayer. Father, 
What a great morning to be together as your church, to be gathered and really to be celebrating the empty tomb that, that Jesus defeated death. Thank you that you've revealed yourself to us by your holy word. And so, uh, so as we read this word, God, would you use it to, to bring conviction, uh, right behavior? Would you use it to bring correction and, and really inspiration, Lord? We pray all these things in the name of Jesus and the church said together, Amen. Okay, here now the Word of God, beginning in the 38th verse of Matthew chapter 12. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. But he answered them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repent at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater then Solomon is here. Church, the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. And this is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Let's break this scripture that we read together down. Let's let it make sense to us. Starting in verse 38. It says, then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him saying, teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. And I mean, here's what's interesting about that verse, right? Just a few verses earlier, Jesus had healed a man who was, who was blind and mute. I mean, he just, he'd just done a miracle. And, and what did the Pharisees say when he did this miracle for them? Do you know what he said? They, they couldn't refute the fact that Jesus had just done a miracle. So instead they said, well, look at, look at Matthew 12, 24. Okay, it says this. But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, it is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. So, so Jesus did the miraculous. He, he'd given them a sign. He'd done something incredible. And, and they didn't refute the miracle. What they refuted was the source of the miracle. The Pharisees were suggesting that Jesus' power didn't come from the Father, but rather it came from the devil. And, and Jesus quickly, he, he rebukes this idea, and instead he says to them, and look at verse 28. But, but if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. In other words, what Jesus says to them, these guys have to wrestle with the fact that maybe... Just maybe the power of Jesus comes from the very Spirit of God. And if that's the case, they are on the wrong side of the Lord. And I don't know, like, if that penetrated their hearts that day. And I don't know if it penetrates your heart today either. But I know that a few verses later, these same teachers, they come back and, and after, after saying that Jesus only heals by the power of the devil, something maybe has changed. I don't know. They want to make sure. And so they say, teacher, we want to see a sign from you. Will you give us a sign? Now, now remember, Jesus had just healed a blind man. 
So, so there's your sign that he could have just said that. Go and talk to that man's family. Go investigate. Find out if he was really blind. But I don't think that's the kind of sign that they wanted. You see, they were looking for a, a sign from heaven, something, something more that, that Jesus was Lord, something that would leave them totally convinced. You remember in, in, in Exodus, when, when God would, would use Moses to do a miracle, Remember all those plagues? And do you remember the, the Egyptian ma- magicians at the very beginning of the plagues? They would turn around and use their, their mystic arts to duplicate some of the plagues. Just, just there at the beginning for a while. And I, I think that what the scribes and the Pharisees want is something that there's no way that any magician could duplicate. Something only God could do. They wanted to see the, the, the pillar of fire come down from the heavens And what I want to suggest to you is that's what many people want today. Maybe even some of you in this room, you're here to support your family. You don't really believe. Maybe you would if you saw a sign from heaven. And listen, this this dynamic that existed between Jesus and these religious leaders, it was always the same. They always wanted signs from him. We were reading earlier from Matthew 12. If we were to look at at Matthew 16, verses 1 through 3, they're doing the same thing, okay? Look at Matthew 16, 1 through 3. It says this, And the Pharisees and Sadducees came to test him. They asked him to show them a sign from heaven. And what did Jesus say? He answered them. And he told them, like, when it's evening, you say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be stormy weather today, for the sky is red and threatening. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs and the times. You see, you see, they continue to ask Jesus for a sign from heaven. You know, enough with the healing of the sick, Jesus. You know, maybe, maybe someone who's, who's not divine can do that. We want you to turn the moon to blood. Enough with the miracles on the earth. Make the sun stand still. What Jesus says to these religious leaders is basically, he says, hey, listen, you guys are great at looking at the sky, and you you can see that the sky is red, and you know because the sky is red that that, that it's going to rain soon. But you're horrible at interpreting the signs of the times. You're missing the very thing that God is doing. And I want to suggest to you this morning that you may be in the same place. You may be demanding a sign in order to believe in Jesus, and you might just be missing what God is doing. Now, pay attention. I think what's very interesting here is that Jesus' answer to these religious leaders is not no. He doesn't tell them, no, I will not give you a sign. He doesn't refuse them. Jesus does give them a sign. He gives you a sign. He gives us all a sign. And it's the most amazing sign you can imagine, but it's not on your terms because Jesus is not your show pony. Look what Jesus says to them. Verse 39. But he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. Jesus says that no sign will be given to to that generation. He calls them evil and adulterous, except for the prophet Jonah. Lots to talk about there. Let's see if we can make that make sense. I get why he calls that guy or those guys evil. They've got wickedness in their heart. We all do. 
But why does he call them adulterous? Well, this is, this is the way that Scripture generally describes people who are, are God's people and belong to him through a covenant, but at some point have gone to follow other people the way that we might in marriage belong to someone in a covenant and follow someone else and be called adulterous. Second question is, what is this sign of Jonah that Jesus promises he will give? Do you remember the story of, of, of Jonah in the well? That the Jonah was three days in the belly of the well? Look at verse 40. This is what Jesus says. He says, For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. What is the great sign Jesus will give as, as, as a sign for his greatness and his lordship? It is the sign of the resurrection. Three days in the heart of the earth. This past Thursday night, just, just a few days ago, we gathered together and it was a great night. And, and let me pause right now and just say, hey, thanks to all the musicians, all the singers, Everyone who worked so hard to put on our Easter music. Thank you, Ellie, for your work. And thanks to Sam for all he does. Listen, it, it was a beautiful service. This is a beautiful service. And as we gathered Thursday night, we read about the crucifixion of Jesus. He was hung on a cross until he was dead. And to make sure he was dead, a soldier was there. And a soldier took a spear and stabbed him through the side before they took him down from the cross. Now, there was a Jewish leader a man by the name of Joseph of Arimathea who took the body of Jesus. And, and Joseph was a rich man. He owned a, a, a very nice uh, tomb. And he went out and he bought a linen shroud. And he took great care and he wrapped Jesus in that shroud. And he placed Jesus in that tomb that he owned. And that tomb was like a, was like a small cave that was carved into a, to a rock wall. You know, it, it was solid stone. And it, it, was, it was just as Jesus had foretold. It was in the heart of the earth. So just as Jonah was three days in the belly of the well, Jesus was three days in the heart of the earth, in the tomb. Now Pontius Pilate, who had agreed to the crucifixion of Jesus, sent guards. I don't know, do you know this? That he sent guards to the tomb that Jesus had been laid that was owned by Joseph of Arimathea. And all of Jerusalem was abuzz at Jesus' death. It really would have been a great prank to steal the body of Jesus. Or it would have been a great prank to just decimate his tomb. Or maybe Pilate had taken seriously Jesus' claims of, of resurrection, which, is, which would have been interesting because it doesn't seem like the disciples did, but maybe Pilate did. And the, the soldiers that were sent by Pilate to the tomb, they did two things when they got there, two things that Scripture tells us that, that they uniquely did. They, they stood guard, and they sealed the tomb. Those two things. Look at Matthew 27, 66. It says, so, so, when they, uh, so they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Now, here's what's interesting. I, I used to think that when it said that the guards sealed the tomb, what it meant was that they had closed it up tight. 
I used to think that's what it was meant by seal, that maybe they had, maybe they had brought with them some, some silicone or some liquid nails to put around there so that they really got a good seal on the tube. I, I really thought that's what they meant when they, that they closed it really good. But, but that's not exactly what it means. You see, when the Roman guards closed the tomb, what they did was they placed a Roman seal upon it. Now, when I say seal, I'm talking about an emblem of, authentic, of authentication. Um, it, it, was, it carried Jewish authority. It, it, was a, it was a seal that said that Jesus was, was dead in the tomb, that, that no one was to cross that seal or else they would face the justice of Rome. So it had the full authority of Rome. Now, now here is what's interesting. Here, this is what that reminds me of when I, when I read that, about them putting the seal on the stone that had been, that had been put there. Do you remember the story of, uh, of Daniel in the lion's den? Remember that story? When Daniel is put into the den with all those lions, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, the king that had put Daniel there, he puts a seal upon the stone. It's very interesting. Look at Daniel 6, uh, 17. We'll put it up there. And it says this, And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet, with his ring. You know, he had had that signet ring. With the signet of the Lord's, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. How crazy is it that this is exactly the same thing that happens to Jesus, the same thing that happens to Daniel in the lion's den. How bizarre is that? You know what? It almost feels like everything in the Bible, everything in the Old Testament is pointing to Jesus in the tomb. You have the story of Jonah, three days in the belly of the fish. What is it pointing to? It's pointing to Jesus. Now you have the story of Daniel in the lion's den and the similarities of the stone being rolled into place and the signet ring being used to say that no one is to help or disturb what happens in this place. To one who doesn't know the Lord, it would appear that Daniel is left on his own to contend with the lions. And that, and that Jesus is left to contend with death on his own and the grave on his own. The Roman seal is to make sure of that. Now, in the Gospel of Matthew, we read that on Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary go to the tomb. The other Mary there, it's, it's a reference to Jesus' mother. That's, that's who that is. And as the two Marys approach the tomb of Jesus, they see those Roman guards that are there meant to intimidate. They probably see the, the Roman emblem, that seal upon the tomb, and maybe they think to themselves, are these guys going to let us anoint the dead body of Jesus Maybe they think to themselves, these women, that we we can't force our way in and break the seal. And here's what the Gospel of Matthew reports. Matthew 28, 2. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came, and he rolled back the stone, and he sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing was white as snow. I remind you, as I often do, that that angels are not fat and cuddly in the Bible. They are not. They're not sweet. They're terrifying. Every time in the Bible when you see an angel, the the angel has to take time to, to say, please don't be afraid. 
I know I'm terrified. Please don't be afraid. Uh, and in this case, look at Matthew 28, 4. It says, and for fear of him, the guards trembled and they became like dead men. These are men who were sent by Pilate to intimidate. Now they've recognized the full meaning of intimidation. They tremble and they become like dead men at the angel of the Lord. It sounds to me like, a, like they passed out out of fear. Matthew 28, 5 says this. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. And he said, come and see the place where he lay. The great news that this angel of the Lord has delivered. These are the greatest eight words ever uttered in human history. Do you realize that? He is not here. He is arisen. This is the reason that we celebrate this morning. The resurrection of Jesus is the very sign that Jesus promised those Jewish leaders, the ones that had serious doubts that Jesus was who he says he was. They asked him for a sign in the heavens, and he, what did he say? He said, no sign will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah, three days in the ground, and then the resurrection. And here's the deal. Many of you have problems with doubt. Maybe you've asked the Lord for a sign yourself. You want him to prove that he's real. And I'm not trying to shame you, and, and I'm not trying to embarrass you. I very much believe that the Lord loves you. But at the same time, I think Jesus would say to you who ask for a sign the same thing he said to these Pharisees. The only sign that will be given is the sign of Jonah. Jesus is not our show pony. We shall not put the Lord our God to the test. So you must decide for yourself this morning if the resurrection of Jesus is a sign enough for you to believe. Jesus was clearly dead. He was hung on a tomb until he quit breathing. He was pierced in his side. He was placed in a guarded tomb behind a Roman seal. And yet, he defeated death and rose to life. Do you believe this? I'd like to say that the decision is all yours. I'm just not certain that it is. I think we are all muddled in sin. And unless the Holy Spirit brings new life into your heart, you will always reject Jesus. You see, faith is a gift. And if you don't have it today, pray for it. Because the promise for us who put our faith in Christ is this. Here's the promise. Because Jesus lives, we shall live also. Jesus defeated sin and death when he rose from the grave, not just for himself, but for all of his people. Here's what I want to show you. I want to show you the way that Paul talks about that. Romans 6, 5. It's very, very interesting scripture. Maybe the most important scripture of, of the sermon this morning. He says this, uh, Romans 6, 5. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, 
we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. What a great verse for Easter morning, huh? If you have been united with him in a death like his, you shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. You see, Easter's, Easter's the day uh, we all gather to celebrate the resurrection. It's a glorious day. We, we gather to be reminded uh, that, that, that we will be united in a resurrection like his. And we sing these songs of Christ's triumphant victory. But you know what? Just hear me out here. We never talk about that first part of Romans 6, 5. No one ever mentions it. Put it back up. Romans 6, 5. Put it back up one more time. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like this. Uh, some of you have joined us this morning, and you're so excited to come and, and, and to celebrate the future resurrection. But you have not been united with Jesus in death. And what the Bible says is that if you're not united with Jesus in death, you will not be united with him in the resurrection. So, what does that mean? Because those feel like just really religious words. What does it look like to be united with Christ in a death like his? Well, this is how the Bible describes it. Uh, Galatians 2.20. Paul again says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So what Paul says is that, that he's been crucified with Christ, that, that as Christ died upon the cross, that like a part of Paul was crucified with him. It was this part of Paul that was selfish and entitled and lived for the passions of the flesh. He, he lived to make himself happy. It's that ego that lives inside of all of us. It's that sin nature. And what Paul says is that it's, it's no longer I who live. It's Christ in me. The way Jesus described this, what he described it, is, is Luke 9, 23. He says this, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. You see, that's what it means to share in the death of Jesus. So, you ready? Here's the sermon. This is it, right here. Many of you have never been united with Christ in a death like his. You live your life for you. You chase one pleasure after another, and you don't sacrifice for Christ. You don't deny yourself. You don't worship him. You have not made Christ the center and Lord of your life. And yet, you're here on Easter morning hoping to share in a resurrection like his. You think that you can have a Savior without having a Lord. Does that make sense? Does this land for anybody this morning? Does anyone in this room feel like the, the Holy Spirit might be speaking to you about your life? You see, the gospel message starts with the bad news. You're dead in your sins. 
You can't overcome your sins by doing good deeds or by being a good person. The only way to find salvation is to die to self and by faith live to Christ. Listen here, my friends. If you've been waiting for a sign to believe, that sign is the resurrection. Today is your day to surrender and to start living for Jesus. I remember, like, like someone once told me, they said, uh, on Easter you should preach a really light and funny Easter sermon that makes everybody laugh. And I, I don't know, man, not, not this year. A, a good Easter sermon is not what makes you laugh. Like, I really believe that you all have Netflix, and if you want to laugh, you can go home and, and find something funny. A good Easter sermon is one that declares that the tomb is empty and that Jesus defeated death. And by doing so, Jesus gave you every sign you ever needed to believe and to place your faith in him. And a good Easter sermon reminds you that as you stop to celebrate the resurrection, you should check your lives and you should ask yourself, have I shared in Jesus' death? By putting to death my fleshly desires and by living my life for him. Those who know Jesus as Lord also know him as Savior. I'm so thankful, friends, that we get to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus together this morning. I'm thankful for that day when, when Jesus will return and we shall, say, we shall share in the resurrection of all the saints who have gone before us. One more time. He has arisen. Let's share in prayer this morning. Uh, Father, thank you for the grace of your Son, Christ Jesus, our Lord, and the call in which you put upon us that warms our heart, the call that tugs us to come to Jesus and, and, and to give our lives to him and to follow him, to share in a death like his that we might share in his resurrection. This morning, Father, as we celebrate Easter in the empty tomb, May all of heaven join with us as we sing and praise the resurrected Christ. And all the church said, amen. Let's